Good morning. This is Attorney Vince Davis. Today is Saturday, August 20th, 2016, 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And the name of this show is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of this show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of the show is to remind people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box, at the state and the federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning, everyone. Today we're going to be talking about uh, a subject that I get a lot of calls on, and um, I'm starting to do more and more of this work again. Uh, I did it many, many years ago, and, and now I'm getting back into it because things just aren't changing. And that's the topic of suing social workers uh, for civil rights violations uh, and other violations in the state and federal courts. Uh, first off, I want to say that um, at least in California, it may be different in your state, but in California, if you're going to sue the social worker, you can sue the social worker under federal law and the federal constitution. Uh, generally, it's um, 42 U.S.C. 1983, the civil rights statutes. Uh, you can sue them within two years of an act happening. Um, you can sue them also under state law but there is a, a prerequisite before suing a social worker uh, under state claims, and that is generally you have to file what's called a governmental tort claim before you file a lawsuit. And that lawsuit, excuse me, and that tort claim generally has to be filed within six months of the act. And then when it's denied, because they usually are, as a matter of fact, in almost 30 years of practicing law, I don't think I've ever heard of a tort claim being granted. Um, a tort claim is where you notify the governmental agency, and in the case of Los Angeles, it would be Los Angeles County. You would notify the county with an official form that you can find on their website that you believe your rights were violated and that you're going to be suing them, and uh, you make a demand for money. The rationale is that this tort claim will put the governmental entity on notice to preserve witnesses and preserve other documentary evidence uh, so that they can fairly defend themselves. And to, and one of the rationales is, and to uh, evaluate your claim and uh, possibly settle the claim before going to a lawsuit. But like I said, in almost 30 years, I've never heard of it happening. Um, perhaps it has. I've just never heard of it. So that's an pr extra procedural step you have to take to sue a social worker or the county <clears throat> under uh, state law. Now, if you sue the social worker under state law and under federal law, you can do that, but you can only collect under one theory. So, um, you know, if you've missed the six-month date for that governmental tort claim, that's a requirement before you actually sue the social worker or the county for state claims, um, you can always sue under a federal statute and under federal law. Now, having said that, I, um, you know, I want to make sure that everybody knows if you're in another state other than California, you have to talk to a lawyer in your state um, to find out if and how you should sue or can sue a governmental, uh, what they call them, governmental actors like social workers. And what I'm going to start doing, because I get so many calls and so many emails from people around the country um, and I can't advise them on, you know, law in their states. Um, you know, you can, uh, I'm going to start getting a, a database together of attorneys who do this type of work. I know there's an attorney in San Diego here that may have a lot of information on other uh, attorneys that may do this. And his name is Sean McMillan. 
uh, you can Google him. He's on Facebook, and he might be able to, um, you know, uh, guide you to an attorney in your particular state. I just personally don't know of any. I have done cases in other states. Um, I've done a case in uh, Illinois. I've done a case in Nevada. I've done a case in, actually, another case in Nevada. So there are possibilities that an attorney from California can go practice in another state under certain circumstances on a very limited basis. Uh, and that's uh, something called pro hoc vice. But that's not the usual norm, and it's not the norm. It raises the transactional cost substantially to have to travel to another state for hearings and depositions and the such. Uh, but it can be done. You might be better off, though, finding a uh, an attorney, a local attorney in your locale uh, to help you out instead of uh, trying to get an attorney from California. But every situation is different. Um, before we go further into the suing of social workers today, um, I'm going to take some calls. And I have a caller who I talked to maybe a day or two ago. Um, he actually came into my office, and we won't mention his name because it's confidential. But he has an incredible story, and, and I want everyone to hear that. So I'm going to put him on the line. Good morning. This caller is calling from area code 760 from nine, uh, ending in 96. Are you with us? Yes, I am. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Uh, I, <laughs> I am still totally bewildered and uh, very, very irritated. Okay. I want you to tell our listeners your story. Don't rush. Take your time because I want people to hear this story because it's so incredible. Go ahead. Okay. My situation started in May of this year. I'm a legal guardian for my eight-year-old grandson. Um, my wife and I are separated. We're getting a divorce. And I had, for the past two years, we've had the child since his birth because his mother's been incarcerated in prison, and his father, we don't know where he's at. Um, my soon-to-be ex-wife and her daughter, who is now out of prison, have been trying to get me off the guardianship, but they have failed <clears throat> because the guardianship won't release me. So an allegation was made in May against me by the soon-to-be ex-wife of abuse to the child. Uh, see, the sheriff's department was called. They came out. They interviewed the child, did a taped interview, and they told them it was unfounded. However, uh, I, I don't know what they call them now because in my 30 years of dealing with the legal system, uh, first they were CPS, now they were, they, and then they, they were CFS, and now they're SSS. And, but anyway, uh, it was uh, set up that he went, was to be taken down by a detective for an evaluation. Well, they took him down. Now, the child is autistic, but not to a serious degree. And his story was a fantasy story of not knowing when, what, how, or anything else. And as a detective told them that there was not anything substantial there against me. However... They turned around and they took the child from me and gave them to the grandmother and the mother, and they set it up and put it into the dependency court in San Bernardino, California. So I went down there, and uh, for the first couple hearings, the judge was pretty good. Uh, he set up visitations and all like that down at the CFS office. Uh, mother was not bringing the child, and to make a long story short, they went to the house and found uh, grandmother and mother high on drugs and took the child <clears throat> and put him into a facility. Okay, uh, we went to court. I was still granted uh, visitation with him down there until we got this matter resolved. Uh, everyone was appointed an attorney through the court. 
And uh, about the second time after that we went to court, the CSF lawyer lied to the court saying she had talked to the psychiatrist uh, who was supposed to examine the child, which was a lie because he didn't see the child till nine days after she made that utterance in the courtroom. He had never even seen the documentation. So the judge denied my visitation with my grandson. Anyway, we went into, kept going into court. It got continued for one reason or another. And then it was set for trial. We had more than sufficient evidence because one year prior to this May of 2016 incident, they had attempted it when Mother first got out of prison. It was unfounded. They took him down, did the evaluation, and brought him back to me immediately. So we went a year, and nothing happened. It was two days after Grandma and I went to our divorce court out here, and uh, they made another phone call. That's when this fiasco started in May. The CFS worker came out. She never interviewed the child. She listened to the tape of the uh that the two law enforcement officers took and even in her report she says there was nothing conclusive there but in her opinion she believes something happened so we got ready by, for trial by just listening but hold on hold on hold on by okay. just listening to the tape she believes something happened correct correct and even after they she was present at the evaluation and the evaluation says clearly by the person who did the testing, it's inconclusive and there is no true evidence other than he made up some mystical story that something happened in the future and blah, 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 like that. And we have the documentation. But okay. in her whole report, she even says there's no physical evidence. There's no evidence to show it. But in her opinion, it happened. And that's been the whole thing through this whole deal. It's her opinion. Now, I have a 14-year-old grandson who is the stepbrother to the uh, 8-year-old. And she had the court put in order that I could have no contact with the 14-year-old. The reason she said was because even though the 14-year-old says that nothing ever happened to him and to his knowledge to his brother, she said there is an 85% chance that I would harm the 14-year-old in the future. Even after she did interviewed she him. She, and, no. Did she, she, did she explain that, how she came up with that number? Never. Never. It is her opinion that there is an 85% chance that I would harm him in the future. Now, this child's going to be 15 next month, but in her opinion, now I've had him since he was born also because he, they have the same mother. She's been in and out of jail and prison. His father's been incarcerated numerous times. I've raised both of them, okay? But no, at no time did she ever come up with how she got 85% that it would happen. It was just her opinion. Okay, now, my grandson at this center that he was at was being seen almost daily by a therapist. Now, the court has never taken away my legal guardianship. They just haven't allowed me to have contact with him. So I still deal with the therapist. I have to sign papers him to go to school, medical, et cetera, et cetera. I had had conversations with the therapist. I told him about this, and he said he would sure like to know how she came up with those mathematical figures of 85% himself. He's never heard of that. When she even states in there, the interviews and as such, that he's never been harmed. So, anyway... We got ready to go to court, and July the 25th, my attorney files 
his paperwork, including the witness list. The witness list was the uh, very first CFS worker who uh, put in her report that that allegation was unfounded. In fact, when they finished the evaluation, her and the detective brought him home to me. And in her report, uh, it even states the fact that uh, she had gone and talked to the mother and told the mother she was a very low character. And the reason why she felt that mommy possibly put him up to this to try to get him taken away from me because they couldn't get me off the guardianship. Now, our witnesses included the therapists from the center, both CSF workers, and for the past two years, my eight-year-old grandson going to school has a therapist through the school district who sees him on a weekly basis. And I have been dealing with him and working with him. He even submitted a letter to the fact of stating that at no time had I abused the child or harmed him. So all of the attorneys, the, the CSF attorney, the attorney for my grandson, both of them, um, the attorney for my ex-wife who was there, the mother, the father of the 14-year-old, all agreed to the witnesses to be heard at trial that we had requested and subpoenaed. The uh, hearing was originally supposed to be on the 10th of this month. However, the CSF on this current case decided to take her vacation, so the judge ordered her there on the 17th last week. So we get to court. Everything is fine. On the 17th, my attorney put on both the CSF workers, and again, the one on the current one admitted she never interviewed. She never. She says she never even talked to the child. She said that. Wait a minute. Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. <clears throat> are you telling Are you telling me that the lady who said it's eighty five percent chance you're going to abuse another child never interviewed the victim, the alleged victim? Correct. We have it in writing. She never interviewed him. What she did was listen to, in part, the tape by the two law enforcement officers who went to the house, and that's where she based everything on. She was aware of the prior unfounded, but she wasn't concerned about that. Okay, now, because of this story, listen to. Hold on. The tape that she listened to uh-huh. made by the police, the uh-huh. police decided not they decided not to prosecute you. Is that correct? I've never talked to law enforcement to date. I have attempted to get in touch with the detective who did the evaluation. He has not returned my calls. Um I've lived out here for 47 years. For 32 years, I own a private investigation company. I have numerous contacts with law enforcement. I was told by the sergeant, don't you think if we wanted to talk to you, we'd come out and talk to you? That's the only contact I've had with law enforcement in regards to this matter. Okay, I'm sorry for interrupting. Continue with the story. Huh? I'm sorry anyway, for interrupting you, but continue. Okay. So we put on the two CSF, and it was actually the most beneficial thing I had. The letter, they allowed a letter from the uh, therapist from the school district to be admitted, which said I had never done any harm to him anyway whatsoever. So we, he didn't have to appear. So then we called the therapist from the center that he was in. With them fully knowing this guy, now no one, not the CSF attorney, not my grandson's attorney, or the caseworker, 
knowing that two things. One, he was in weekly, if not daily, therapy with the child. Second, that a psychiatrist came down and met with him. But none of those three people bothered to contact the center and talk to the man. Okay? Now, his attorney, that's his client, would be obligated to talk to the therapist to see what he has to say. What did the child reveal to you? But none of this was done, and it was admitted in court on Wednesday. It was ever done. Anyway, the therapist was continued being interviewed on the witness stand by my attorney. And at a certain point, he came up with, the child told me in therapy session that he was never harmed abused or anything by his grandfather. Immediately, both the CSF attorney and his, the grandson's attorney started objecting. Now, we were already an hour and a half into questioning, and during that whole time, every time they objected the questions to the caseworkers or whatever, the judge overruled their objections and made them answer. In fact, he asked them questions. But as soon as he uttered that, the judge went ballistic. So what the judge did was he stopped the trial, and he said that he wanted the attorneys in his chambers to discuss about the questioning of the witness. He said he was going to stop the trial that day then, and then everybody was to be back at 1.30 the next day. So the attorneys went into chambers with the judge to talk without me being in there. We all left, and we came back the next day. I came back at 1 o'clock, and lo and behold, my grandson is in the courthouse. The judge has adamantly said he did not want to put him on the witness stand. Okay. Now he's there. Prior to us even heading towards the courtroom, his attorney and the CSF caseworker took him in a back room, and they interviewed him without me or my attorney being present during the interview. Now what it turns out was he said the same thing to them that he said to the therapist. They came out, got a hold of the CSF attorney, and they all went into the courtroom, and we're in there for probably about an hour before they called us in. Before we went mm -hmm. in, my attorney comes back out and tells me that my grandson's attorney is requesting a mistrial. The reason why was he said he didn't know that the guy was going to say this. Well, they'd already signed did a waiver because they put all of his reports into the CSF paperwork into the court. And everybody had a copy of it. Okay. So what the judge said is he's making the following orders immediately. The first orders he made was in regards to the therapist from the center where my grandson's at. First order was that from that moment on, he is to have no contact whatsoever with my grandson, therapy-wise, personally-wise, not even talk to him. The second thing he ordered was that his testimony that was already on the transcript be removed. The next thing he said was, you are not permitted to talk to anyone regarding this case or that child. <clears throat> the next order he made was that all records, medical, personal, or anything else on my grandson at the center that he was at, were to be destroyed immediately. The next order he made was that any notes, any documentation, anything that this 
therapist had in his possession were to be surrendered to the facility for destruction immediately. The next thing he did was inform me that the attorney who had been appointed to me was taken off the case and would no longer represent me and that they would have to appoint another attorney. The next thing he did was set it for a hearing for the mistrial. At that now, point there, he told everybody to get out of the courtroom. Okay, so now the one thing I didn't know before was he ordered you not to talk about this case to anyone? Not me, the therapist. Oh, I see. Okay. I wanted to make sure we weren't now, violating he put the court a gag order. order. Yeah, he put a court order on the therapist that he was not to discuss my grandson in any manner with anyone. Now, I, I want to back up because I had some technical difficulties. I'm glad you kept going with the story. But this therapist that was, yeah. you know, testifying um, for, you know, the therapist for your grandson, he yes. worked at a facility where your grandson was placed? Correct. Is that correct? What it is. Now, did what the it social is, is. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Did the social worker place the child at that facility? Yes. So are you telling me that while you that while your grandson was at that facility receiving therapy from someone at that facility that nobody ever talked to the therapist? No. I was the only party who talked to him uh, a couple times a week if the child needed something, uh, toys or clothes or whatever, I was the only one that talked to this therapist in regards to what was transpiring. Uh, okay. Now, hold on a second. Are you saying that the minor's own attorney never, or anyone from the minor's office, attorney's office, never spoke to this therapist? Correct. How long was your son, your grandson at this placement? Since uh, May of this year to the present. He's still there. Okay. And are you telling me that the social worker that's accusing you of being 85% chance of abusing another grandchild, that that social worker never talked to your grandson's therapist? The only thing she talked to him about was bringing him clothes or um, that was it. No, she never talked to him whatsoever in regards to what was happening in the therapy sessions. Uh, she never talked to him what was the results of the psychiatric evaluation that was done. No, she never talked to him about anything. She admitted to that on the witness stand. Hmm, this is... Uh... One of the more unusual stories I've heard coming out of juvenile dependency courts. Um, I'm going to stop you right there because I know more about your story and it has to do with your conversations with your court appointed attorney and his supervisor, uh, who seemed to be working for your benefit, by the way. Uh, but I don't want you Correct. to disclose those uh, confidential communications on our nationwide radio show. So I'm going to stop you right there. I want to thank you for calling in and sharing that story with us. And uh, you and I will be in contact, I can assure you. Okay. Let me, let me say one thing because I just thought of something, okay? The CFS Certainly. worker did have contact with the therapist, but it had nothing to do about the therapy. What it had to do with was the mother's visitation because they had canceled it. But other than that, that's only contact that she had with the therapist, and it was because he sent her an email and she contacted him back about it because they were wanting to completely cut off the contact with the mother. They had already cut off the contact with the grandmother, but that was the only contact 
that the CFS had with the therapist because he controlled the visits. Okay, but again, as to his... Thank you again for calling. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, folks, when you think that you have heard everything that can possibly happen in the juvenile dependency court, we get another story. I can't wait to investigate this to see if this guy is 100% accurate. I met with him. He seemed very credible, very intelligent, and um, I just can't believe that this happened to him. We're going to take another call right now because uh, I'm kind of getting backed up on the uh, board uh, here. Um, this call is from area code 805, ending in 53. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Hello. Hello. Hi. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. How, how are you? Um, I'm doing okay. How are you? Good. Did you call in to share a story or to ask a question? Um, yes, I have been dealing with the DCFS for about 10 months now. It started in September um, of 2015. I had gotten calls and accusations put in. Um, two months after that, they had taken my kids out of the home. Um, what happened was the accusations were for abuse. And um, so they went to two forensic places and had the kids checked out. The uh, forensic said there was suspicious abuse, but nothing, you know, substantial. So um, they removed the kids anyways out of the home. And um, it was about two days before they removed the kids over the weekend that I had a social worker call and say that um, she was going to be removing the kids so she didn't want me to run with them. So um, I stayed there. They took the kids. It's been nine months now. You said she yes. didn't want you to what with them? To run. So she called me to tell me that they were taking the kids. Okay, go ahead. Keep going. Okay, so um, it's been nine months since they've been gone, and I've had no, um, no progress. No court's been pwned every single time I've went, and it's all the way in L.A. And, um, you know, I live pretty far from L.A., so I have to go there at least, like, every time they postpone it. It's like three months later until the next court date. So um, the social worker, she's not really giving me any rights to them. Um, I can only call them twice a week, and um, it's at a certain time. And uh, the visits that I get, I'm supposed to get them about three times a week for three hours. I've only been getting one visit a week for two hours, and that's for nine months. And then nothing's progressing at all, and she feels that at I'm still at monitored visits. She feels that I don't deserve to have unmonitored visits just yet. And um, the court hasn't ordered me to do anything, but I took initiatives to take parenting classes. But she also stopped me from taking parenting classes because she said it wouldn't matter because court hasn't ordered any parenting classes. So um, I've been dealing with her for, uh, you know, canceling visits. For about nine months now, I haven't gotten, like, every single visit. Most weeks she cancels because she can't find a monitor. And it's just been stressful. And my attorney won't listen to me. She won't stand up for me in court. I have, like, no word in anything. Okay, this is what I would, uh, I want to ask you a couple questions. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. Um, do you have a court-appointed attorney? Yes. Okay. What I want you to do is I want you to email them okay. and request to have a meeting so that you can discuss your case. Okay. The three things that you need to discuss with him or her is, number one, uh, your reunification plan and your visitation because it doesn't sound like you're getting what you're supposed to be getting 
No, I'm the second not. thing I want you to discuss with you, yeah. The second thing I want you to discuss with your attorney is uh, the possibility of having your children placed with blood relatives or relatives by marriage or close family friends. Yeah, okay. um, but I put in a request for my grandma-in-law to do it, but um, she, the social worker that I have is still, like, she's not doing her job. She's still not doing it. They should have been placed with her. Her home right. has been approved. We've been live-scanned for everything, and they, it was, there's no problem why they can't move the kids out of the foster home. Right, and that's why I need you to talk to your attorney about that, Okay. Okay. The third thing that you need to do is talk to your attorney about a real concrete strategy to get your children back at or before the next court hearing. And you can go to court before the next court hearing, scheduled hearing, by filing what's called a 388 petition. So I want you mm -hmm. to talk to your attorney about those three things. And you need to talk to the attorney, you know, like yesterday about that. If you have any problems, okay, and you can't get any satisfaction because time is ticking away on you, I need you to mm -hmm. call my office, make an appointment, make an appointment to come see me, to talk to me on the phone, or to do a Skype call. Skype is free so that I can help you. Because if you don't get this straightened out now, you are going to lose your children. Do you understand that? Yes. Okay. And um, I've so already made an appointment. I'm gonna give you my telephone number so that you can call. And you can call today after nine o'clock. There is a uh, secretary that's working today from nine to five. So you can call. Let me know when you have a pen and a piece of paper. Um, I have your name. Actually, I already called and made an appointment to speak with you for a consultation. Oh. Okay. When is your appointment? Um, it's actually, I think she said, like, next Friday. And because um, I've oh. already been dealing with this oh. with um, the attorneys, and I got sick of it because they weren't answering and calling me back. So I called your offices to um, okay. get consultation and, yeah. Okay, well, well, do this. I want you to call my office back because next Friday is too long for you. We need to talk okay. today or tomorrow. And I know tomorrow is Sunday, <clears throat> but <clears throat> because of my schedule this week, I'm, I'm taking appointments on Sunday, at least by phone. Actually, that's not true. I'm actually meeting someone in my office tomorrow. Um, so uh, call my office today. Make an appointment to meet okay. or talk with me tomorrow, okay? We can't wait okay. any longer okay. in the case. Okay, thank All right. you Thank so you much. for calling. I appreciate it. Thanks. Okay, the next call I'm going to take is from area code 562, ending in 48. Good morning, Mr. Davis. Good morning. You're on with... Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. This is Daniel, and I'd like to share a story. Please, go ahead. Okay, first of all, um, I'm a non-offending parent. I had a DCSF case that is closed now, drug out for over two years. Thanks to your law firm and your people, you know, you guys got it shut down in my daughter's home with me today. And what had happened is... My daughter's mother was living with me, and she was a substance abuser. I had no idea of this. And so she had uh, gotten, we, 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 she got pregnant with me, and so she was going to have the baby. She's probably about four or five months pregnant when I found out that she did drugs. She never did drugs in my house. She would take off. I worked, so, you know, I'm not chasing around or anything, trying to see what's going on. And she came home at a reasonable hour. So, I mean, she played it quite well. However, I found out that what she was doing at one point, and I talked to her about it, asked her if she had a problem, and she said no. And then a couple weeks later, I talked to her again, and she said she did have a problem. 
she asked me if I could get her some help. I'm not a drug person. I don't drink. I'm not familiar with the rehab system. I've never been to any kind of rehab. I've never been incarcerated for drugs or alcohol or any of that. So I called her mom, and her mom said she didn't know what to do. So I got on the Internet, found a treatment facility, called the people up. In my mind, I was thinking if I could just get her through the door, they could take it from there. So three different occasions, I made appointments with the people. I took her, I drove her over there. She would not even get out of the car. On the third occasion, I said, you know what, that's fine. I came back home. I packed up all her stuff, <clears throat> took her to her mom's and dropped her off. I went to the police station and explained to the police what was going on. And I said, you know, can you do something about this? They said, no, we cannot. And I said, isn't that child endangerment or something like that? They said, yes, it is. <clears throat> What's going to happen is when your child is born, we're going to take your child away. There's nothing you can do about it. So I didn't know what to do at that point. So after in, in uh, February 22nd of 2014, my daughter was born. She was born with substance in her system. Her mom had substance in her system. The social worker came and talked to her mom and said, give your daughter to your mom or the the baby's father, which is me. <clears throat> she said, I don't want my mom to have my daughter. I want, you know, her father to have her. So she gets out of the hospital. She's out a couple of days in her mom's house. And then, you know, I was visiting all the time. And then so she gave my daughter to me. About two weeks went by, and my daughter was with me. She's got her own room, very safe house and everything. Um, the mom went back in the hospital for some kind of infection or something. And she asked me to come visit. And I went to visit. Everything was okay. I went back the next day. I went back the next day. The third visit that I went, they wouldn't let me in, in the room to see the baby's mom. They said, there's a flu outbreak. We don't want your daughter to get the, you know, contagious or whatever. So I'm like, okay. So I'm down in the waiting room. They were supposed to bring her down. And up comes a social worker. And she starts grilling me. Do you do drugs? Are you on drugs? I said, no. She said, well, the baby's mom has substance in her system, and your daughter was born with substance. And I said, I understand that. And uh, they said, well, she said she lived with you. And I said, she did. This is in February. She lived with me July the year before for four months. I explained that to the lady. And then she said, okay, well, she's going to go upstairs and talk to the mom. She went upstairs and talked to the mom. Then she came back down, and she's grilling me again. She said, the mom said that you use marijuana every day. And I said, I don't do any drugs at all. I said, I don't even drink alcohol. And uh, she said, well, based on what, what I've, I've found, I'm taking your daughter from you. And at that point, I knew my rights were being violated, but I didn't know. I, I, I said, I need an attorney here, you know. And in the beginning, when she first came up and was questioning me, I know that you have to be careful what you say to these people because they're trying to build a case and they exaggerate on things. So what happened is um, they she, she said that, and she said, I'm taking your child. And I said, well, I need an attorney. But anyway, that didn't happen. They took my daughter, and they I said, well, what do I do from here? And she said, we will contact you, sir. So... Um, I didn't wait for them to contact me. I contacted them. They already had her at a caregiver, and they were going to adopt my daughter out. They told the caregiver, this is going to be your baby. You're going to have this baby. Uh, my daughter's mother is black. And they said 95%, I mean 90% of the black females that uh, have cases going on, do not get their children back, and 95% of the fathers 
of the situation do not get their children back. And the lady just went on and on and on telling me uh, her report says that I'm inebriated every day and every night. I can't even take care of myself. I'm a danger to this child. I had endangered this child by allowing the mother to do drugs while she was pregnant. I did not allow her to do drugs. I didn't know what to do at that point. Like I said, I tried to get her to a rehab, and then I went and talked to the police. They said, there's nothing you can do. I was, you know, it really hurt me, too, to know that my child's in there while she's doing drugs. You know, she's pregnant, and what could, anything could happen at any time, and there's nothing that I could do about it. So back to the um, lady that was going to adopt my daughter out, she just told me, you will not get your daughter back. And she said, you're on drugs. I said, hey, you know what? I'll take a drug test right now. She goes, oh, no, no, it don't work like that. You're going to get drug tested, but we're going to let you know. We're going to give a surprise. And I said, okay. So they gave me an 800 number. I, I drug tested, you know, for five months. No, no problems. And um, I just told myself I'm not going to take no for an answer. I had to calm myself down and not get upset because, you know, you want to put your guard up when people are trying to take your kids from you. And this is something that I didn't have experience with. Like I said, you really need a good attorney that is experienced in this field. So I just went through the steps. Uh, you know, I talked to the lady, and um, I said, I want my visitation. And they said, okay, well, your daughter is in Silmar, which is, it's not that far from where I live. It's If you go on Sunday, it's a 45-minute drive. But they had it set up where I'd go there during the week, which I don't have a problem with, and it's during traffic time. So I would have to be there at 9. So that means I would have to leave my house at 7 a.m. to do a two-hour run one way and go up there to visit my daughter. So I did this 178 visits. It took, uh, oh boy, probably about seven or eight months before I got unmonitored visits. When I did get the unmonitored visits, the caregiver got extremely angry with me because she thought I was going to just hang out up there. And what I did is I took my daughter shopping. We went to breakfast. You know, we spent the day together. We had a great time. And it took a long time. Slowly, they started giving me overnights and <clears throat> more time, more time. However, what I did is I did my homework and figured out what classes I needed to do. And so I start jumped on the parenting classes. I drug tested for five months. I did the parenting for five months. Uh, they wanted me to join Project Fatherhood. I did that for two years. Then uh, they wanted um, me to have individual counsel. I think they kind of got irritated because when I went into court, uh, you know, like a couple months later, I said, here's my certificate for this. Here's my certificate for that. Here's this certificate. Oh, well, you need eight months of uh, individual counseling. And for me, I didn't look at this stuff like, oh, my God, I don't want to do this. I looked at it, let me get started. <clears throat> and some of the things they had, uh, I had a waiting list, like the parenting and, and uh, a couple things. So I did the uh, counseling. The counsel's like, I don't know what we're going to talk about for eight months. You know? And I said, well, I don't either. You know, they had a certain... Uh, they had emailed him what they were expecting uh, for him and I to talk about. So we did all that. He wrote nothing but good reports for me. I did everything that I was supposed to. In April uh, 10th of 2015, the social worker said he's never missed a visit. He's on time with everything. He's completed all these classes. Uh, I'm recommending reunification with his child. So what happened is... Um, I I um, went to court. No, I went to uh, TDM, and they said, well, no, he's not going to be able to get recommendation to have this child reunificated with him until he does X, Y, Z. And I said, well, what's X, Y, Z? I'm anxious to get these things behind me. They keep popping up with new stuff. Okay, so they're not going to tell me. It's a big secret. Until I go to court. I go to court, and my daughter's attorney 
said, oh, well, we decided we want you to have a 730 evaluation. I said, okay, well, I talked to my attorney. I said, what, what's a 730 evaluation, some kind of test or something? He said, no, no, it's just like a personality thing. And I didn't even think, hey, if I don't pass the little test, am I still going to get my daughter back? I didn't question it. I'm just like doing, let me get this out of the way. So I went up and took the five-hour test, went to court. Several months later, through the courts, they recommended who to go to, a forensic psychologist and all this. So I went to court, and they said, oh, Mr. Collette, you, uh, you were too defensive on that test. I said, too defensive? Yeah, well, you're going to have to take another one. And I'm like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? So I had to do another test, and then um, I I uh, I went in there and took that test, and I passed that test. They were still not recommending reunification for me at that point. It, it's been up and down as far as reunification. They would advise reunification. The social worker would, but his supervisors would say no. So my attorney, a private attorney that I had hired, you know, he was it seemed like he was kind of dragging his feet through most of the stuff. You know, like at one point I said, I've been drug testing clean for five months. Can you ask the judge to stop that? He goes, well, I don't want to rock the boat or anything. So it seemed like he was kind of trying to keep the thing going so he could keep getting paid. I spent a lot of money with that man. Fortunately, my mother found you, Mr. Davis, in your law firm, and I wanted to sign up with you. I had the other attorney. Uh, he ended up having a heart attack. He didn't pass away. He called me from New York and told me um, I had a heart attack and I won't be able to represent you. He said, but I got another law firm that will represent you. And I started asking about their experience in um, this uh, juvenile court system. He goes, oh, well, yeah, they're pretty good. And I'm thinking, I can't have pretty good. I need my daughter back. This thing drug out for two and a half years. And anyway, so I did the other 7-3 evaluation and passed everything. He said it looks like he did everything but walk on water. So that was good. I did seven months of family preservation. I did everything that they asked me to. At the end, they were still not recommending my daughter come home with me. Fortunately, you know, like I said, my mother had found you, and I was reading the incredible things on your website. I had talked to some of your staff, and I was really comfortable. I hired you guys to be on my team, and you walked in the courtroom the first day, and the, the county attorney and my daughter's attorney were saying, we're not recommending that uh, you have your daughter come home with you. And you guys shut all that down, and you were able to get my daughter home with me. She's here today. I would recommend anybody that has a situation of any kind, you cannot take it lightly. You need to hire professionals. You have to have somebody that has a lot of experience in this field and knows the court and knows the laws. The courts several times messed up. They didn't have my 730 evaluation. They had somebody else's 730 evaluation. Any other court, they would throw it out of the court saying, hey, this is messed up, this is messed up. They made a huge amount of mistakes. The reports that were written against me were ludicrous. Anyone that knows me <clears throat> absolutely knows that I don't drink alcohol, I don't use drugs, I never have, never will. And I'm looking out for the best interests of my daughter. I love my daughter, and I'll do anything that I have to to have her with me. Now I'm kind of paranoid, to be honest. You know, we go to the playground or something. I'm worried if she's going to fall and, you know, bump her head or split her lip. It's kid things, you know. Since she's been with me, there's been no problems. I haven't had to take her to the hospital or anything like that. But my rights were extremely violated through this whole thing. And try, by me trying to cooperate, <clears throat> I never really thought about my rights being violated. All I could concentrate is I want my daughter home, and all they did is tell me, no, you can't have her. I am her father. She's home safely now. Thanks to you, Mr. Davis, and your law firm, 
I really appreciate it. Well, Daniel, I, I appreciate you calling in and sharing your story with you. Excuse me, with us and the audience. Uh, good luck to you, and I'll be in contact with you very soon. Thank you so much, and have a great weekend, Mr. Davis. Okay, we're running out of time. I, I'm going to try to take one more quick call. It will be area code nine five one, ending in nine eight. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Hello. Hello. Okay, we're having some technical difficulty there. I'll take another call, a quick call, hopefully. Area code 818, ending in 16. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Hello. Okay, maybe some more technical difficulties. I'm going to wrap up today's show uh, by getting back to the topic that we were talking about uh, initially, and that's uh, suing social workers. I told you about the state claims and the tort claims uh, requirement, the governmental tort claim. You can just Google that uh, requirement here in California and uh, the federal claims. What I want to tell you next is, is that there are two critical parts of your case. I mean, the whole case is critical, but there are two very critical parts. The first part is the pleading of your complaint and getting past the initial motions that will be filed by the social workers' attorneys and the county's attorneys to throw your case out. Uh, there's a lot of work that goes in up front uh, into the case. The second part of your case uh, that's extremely important is the actual trial itself. Do most cases go to trial? No, but the amount of money that you end up getting in settlement or at trial is going to depend greatly on the skills of, that you or your attorney have in doing something called trial presentation. Uh, I recently went to a trial seminar, uh, something called the Trojan Horse, Trojan Horse Method. Uh, these are two gentlemen who are graduates from the Jerry Spence Trial Lawyers College, as am I. And uh, one of them has come up with a formula. Uh, it's called the size of your verdict will equal to P times B squared. And the P is your presentation of evidence to the jury, and the B stands for the your ability to show the betrayal in your case. And that's extremely important. Um, I recently finished a case for a woman who I was um, able to show that the betrayal in her case was that her kids were taken and she was offered and forced to take services um, because uh, because of money. Uh, in my opinion, uh, and a lot of people share this opinion, a lot of these things that are happening, happening to, to families is profit-motivated for the county government, uh, these Department of Children and Family Services, and uh, they're out to give services, to sell services, uh, so that they can make money from the federal government. Um, we're running out of time, but next week we're going to continue this topic. Uh, verdict equals the presentation of evidence times the betrayal squared. And if you are going to sue someone like a social worker, it's not enough in my mind that you show that they did something wrong because there's a lot of law on immunity. A lot of social workers in different states, and particularly in California, have qualified immunity. Uh, and so it's hard to sue them, if at all. So we're going to be talking about that next week as well. Uh, remember, go out that are family-friendly, that want to keep families together, not tear them apart. I will see you next week on the radio. Have a good weekend.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.